Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. In a few minutes, we're going to be uh, moving into the, the portion of the service that is uh, the ordination of uh, Bob Bryant. And you need to know, and I know you know this, but this is a big deal. It's a really big deal. Uh, I remember my ordination service. It is written on my calendar, but I always remember it anyway. And every year I stop and Connie and I talk about it and talk about God's faithfulness through the last year and years. Um, this, is, uh, this is a calling from God and uh, a very special time. Now, I also knew that today we would be sending out the good ones. And we had already determined that we were going to uh, do all of this in the context of our morning worship. And so, my dilemma, it was a good dilemma, but my dilemma was to look for a passage that would be appropriate for an ordination to the gospel ministry, for a commissioning, recommissioning, and for our congregation. And in God's providence, the passage that I preached on last week had more than I could have ever did, uh, talked about in one week. And as I continued to study it, I said, this is the passage. This is the one. And uh, it's far better than I ever could have planned in terms of trying to pick uh, a passage that would fit. So let's read uh, a portion of this passage again in John 12. We'll begin with verse 20. It says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we are, we are asking that you would apply your word 
to all of us, to not just an occasion, but to us as your children. Children who, who like the Greeks in this passage, who wish to see Jesus, will you show him to us? We ask in his precious name. Amen. Now, we mentioned this last week, but let me, let me just remind you of uh, the, the setting here. Uh, in, in this case, it was some uh, Greeks who want to see Jesus. Why even say it's Greeks who want to see Jesus? Well, because most of the ones that he was dealing with were uh, the Jews who either wanted to see Jesus or wanted to destroy Jesus, one or the other. And so this is kind of a, an unusual uh, situation. So he, he points out that there were some Greeks. And as we mentioned last week, they may have been uh, Greeks who worshipped the God of Israel. They could have even, possibly even been converts to Judaism. It, that would make sense why they would be here for the feast Well, if that was the case, then uh, when they came to Jerusalem, they wouldn't have been able to go into the the main part of the temple. In fact, they would have had to stay outside of that in what was called the court of the Gentiles. And there was a wall that kept them out of the other part of the temple. Now, later in the New Testament, after Jesus had had ascended and the the gospel is going out, Paul talks about that wall, and he says, look, Jesus broke down that wall. There is no more wall between us because of our nationality or our race or any any of those things. But at this point, there would have been. So, if they were in the court of the the Gentiles at that point, we know from the Gospel of Mark what happened that week around that time in the court of the Gentiles, and that was that Jesus came in and he cleansed the temple. It was the second time he did it. It's recorded in John early in his ministry, and it's recorded in Mark also late in his ministry. So if you can imagine, we can't prove this, but it's very possible that these Greeks might have been out here in this this court of the Gentiles, getting as close as they could to worshiping the God of Israel, and they see this, this man come in who is what the whole town is buzzing about, and he cleanses it. He turns over tables. He drives out uh, those who were exchanging money, profiting off of the feast. And perhaps they saw this. And by the way, it was the court of the Gentiles where all the merchandising went on. They didn't dare do it inside. So perhaps they saw this and said, 
we got to check this guy out. Let's, let's go try to find him. Who, who is this? What's his story? And so they bring him to him. We would wish to see Jesus. And Jesus' first response to them is to talk about his death. He says, you want to see me? This is what you need to know. But then he very quickly, and we, we just talked about what Jesus said about himself last week in part one. But right on the heels of talking about his death, he basically said, and you know what? Those who follow me must die as well. Bob, this is not just for you, <laughs> okay? <laughs> but it is for you. But he wasn't speaking at an ordination service or a commissioning service or anything like that. He was talking to people who wanted to see Jesus. Now, I don't know if, if you've ever been in churches that, that do invitations uh, at, at the end of a service. And uh, I've, I've been in churches like that many times. And there, I've heard some very wonderful invitations. Sometimes I've heard invitations so uh, wonderful that by the end of the invitation, there wasn't anybody in there who couldn't say yes to something that was being, they were being invited to. And, and sometimes I began to question, well, I, maybe I need to walk the aisle too, even though I was a believer already. But, but there is a way to do invitations Maybe, maybe Jesus needs to take a course in this or something because if you're trying to be attractive and to woo people into the faith, I don't know that in that course they would say the first thing you tell them is they need to die. But that's what he does. Jesus is not going to sell them some bill of goods and say, follow me and everything will be great and wonderful. You'll never have any more worries. He would never do that. He tells them the truth. And he says, whoever loves this life, verse 25, his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, I've already been asked about this this morning, somebody who read ahead. What do you mean hating, hating life? Well, we need to understand this, this is a Hebrew idiom, and it, it, it doesn't mean that it's not true, but uh, when, it, when it's coming from a Hebrew perspective, to say you hate something can actually be equal to loving one thing less than another. And that's what this is talking about. We see it elsewhere in the New Testament where he says you need to hate your mother and father and, and so on. Well, that doesn't fit with other scripture if it was actual hatred. 
But from a Hebrew perspective, it's saying you got to love them less than something else. And that's what he's saying here, is that, that, that you, you can't love your life more than you love me if you're going to follow me. Over in Matthew 10, verse 38 says, Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, here's the point. Jesus had just said that he was going to be glorified. And then he explained that his glorification meant that he was going to die. And he talks about the purpose of all of that. And then, right on the heels of that, he says to these who are looking to get to know him and what it, what it means to be around him, he says, look, if you're going to follow me, your life's on the line too. It's on, it's on the line as well. And understand that for the disciples that were there, that was going to be literally the case. Take Judas out of the picture. We know why. But even if you put Matthias in there who took Judas's place, from what we can determine, with the exception of John, all of them died martyrs' deaths. Every single one of them. And while John died at an old age, he lived a martyr's life. It's said that he was actually put into a vat of oil at one point, and he bore, bore those scars on his body the rest of his life, and, and he, he lived out his life in exile. So we often have to point out that when it comes to the kingdom, it's, it, it's not only different the way Jesus teaches. It's not only different than the way we would think about things and figure them out on our own to say, well, this must be the best way and so on. But it is often the opposite, the exact opposite. We want to say, go, go out there and, and, and live for him. And he says, you've got to be ready to die. Because it's possible that's going to happen. Augustine said, a wonderful sentence, this. A man by loving his life risks its loss. And by hating it, secures its safety. And missionary Jim Elliott We've quoted this many times. He is no fool, and Jim Elliot died a martyr's death. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Sam and Lizzie, you give up a lot to go to Germany. We talked last week about how different it is, though, when we know that's what God has called us to do. 
even Jesus. He said, my soul is troubled. But he said, but this is what I'm here for. He understood his deep calling. But what's it mean for us as a, as a congregation? You're not getting on a plane this week and going to another country. What's it mean for us? Well, in many parts of the world, it, it, it could mean literally you might die this week. Uh, I had the high privilege to preach to an underground church uh, over in Pakistan. And if I were preaching this passage there, I, I, I would have known very well that it's possible that, that somebody in that room at some point would be kidnapped, maybe lose their life, imprisoned, lose their family, very literally. And that's the case in many parts of the world. But it's less likely here in the United States. But in any case, we must not love our life more than Christ. How arrogant. How egocentric it would be to think our life is more important than following Christ. Here's the question, though. Let's not even talk about laying down our physical life for Christ. There are some who love their money more than Christ. There are some who love their possessions more than Christ. There are some who love their comfort, their vacations, their freedom, their spare time, their convenience more than Christ. And so ask yourself, when was the last time you actually gave something up for the sake of Christ? I mean, really. You gave it up, and what was it? There's a second thing that he says to those who wanted to see him, and that is those who serve Jesus must follow. It seems so obvious. But he says, verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Now, that's not just following him around. It's much more than that. And they were going to see within a few days. You know, they, they might have enjoyed following him when he walked in for the triumphal entry. This is fun. This is triumphant. But within, within a few days, if they really followed him, they saw him carry his own cross to that hill and die there. And that's what he's saying. That's following. If you follow me, don't get too attached to your life. Because if you're mine and plan to serve me, that's part of following. But then he goes on, and where I am there, my servant must uh, my servant be also. So there it is. That's, that's the other side of it. You follow, I'm with you. I saw this question this week. Would I rather have pleasant circumstances without the presence of Christ, or do I realize that the worst this world can give me is nothing 
compared with the surpassing greatness of living with Christ. Which are you going to choose? And then he goes on and he says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor him? That's the trade-off. But there's simply no comparison. We may seek earthly comfort and reward and success and happiness, and Jesus says, if you follow me, you may have none of those. In fact, you might have to give all of those up. But... Let me tell you what you will have. My Father, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the only one who is capable of giving eternal rewards, he will honor you. Now, there's all kinds of honors in life. Probably everyone in this room, if you're old enough to, you've got some kind of honor at some point. But you'll you'll know what I mean when I say this. Uh, The honors we get, uh, it's a greater honor depending on who gives that honor, right? Let me give you an example. If I go out to the store and I buy myself a cup that says, World's Greatest Dad and I carry it around. Well, that's one thing. If my kids get me that cup, Benji, you don't have to get me that cup, but if my kids, (laughs) if they get me that cup, that's a higher honor. But if all of the children in the world voted me that, That would be the greatest honor of all. You get it? And so that's why this is an honor coming from from the only one that can bestow eternal rewards. That's true honor. And so we need to take our choice. Will you work for the applause of the world that will quickly fade away, or would you desire to be honored by the Father? There's no comparison there, is there? Now, I want to I take you back as we apply this for all of us. Back to one thing that it's, you, could, you could easily skip over. And that is one of the characters in this, and that's Andrew. Verse 20. Among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now, we don't know a lot about Andrew, uh, but he was Peter's brother and probably spent a good portion of his life in Peter's shadow. I, 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 I just can't imagine that would be the case. But he was actually the one that brought Peter to meet the Messiah. He was also the one that called Jesus' attention to the little boy with five loaves and two fish before feeding the 5,000. 
And according to tradition, not in Scripture, but according to tradition, Andrew was martyred at Petra by crucifixion on an X-shaped cross. That's why you will see an St. Andrew's cross, that's what it's called. It's going to be a blue cross that's X-shaped because of that. And I love that his name is the name of our church, even though we were named after the road. But the, <laughs> but the road was named after him, okay? <laughs> but I do love that. And so, Bob and Goodwins and all of us, I want you to be an Andrew. Always be an Andrew. Because here's what he did. He used the gifts he had, but never became the focus. From what we know of him, that's what he did. He did what he could do. But secondly, always take them to Jesus. Show them Jesus. Bob, I hope you have many years of ministry before you. But if you don't accomplish anything else, I expect you will. But if you don't accomplish anything else, if you show them Jesus, you've accomplished what's best. Sam and Lizzie and girls, you're going back to an unbelievable task. It's too vast. It's too big for you. In your strength, you can't accomplish it, and you know that. But if you don't accomplish anything else in Germany, you show them Jesus, and you will do what's best. And St. Andrews, you know, as a church, there's a lot of good things our church can do. We're a friend to this community. As far as I know, the, the, we're loved by the community and appreciated by the community. But we've always got to say, if, if we don't accomplish anything else in this community, if we show them Jesus, we are doing that which is best. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to accomplish the best, not the most elaborate, not the hardest, but in a way you've made it so simple that wherever we go and whatever we do and everything we say, we need to show them Jesus. Please help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.